You're listening to the Fertility Academy podcast, episode 39. In this episode, I'm going to be chatting with Dr. Elizabeth Sherbadi all about what the science says you should eat for fertility and IVF optimization. This is going to be a delicious and juicy episode, so stay tuned. Welcome to Fertility Academy, a podcast where we provide you with information and tools to help you optimize your fertility to grow your family no matter where you are in your fertility journey. We offer interesting, creative, and evidence-based information and give you practical tools to help you get closer to your goal of building a family. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I'm a fertility-focused acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, board-certified fertility specialist, and fertility coach with over 10 years of experience helping my patients build their families. I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us today. I'm excited to share this interview with you because there's so much information out there about what you should eat for fertility. In my conversation with Dr. Liz, we're going to distill down the information available to what's evidence-based and applicable, but also that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to food and nutrition in any context, not even in fertility. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the naturopathic model of care and how it relates to fertility, how our diet influences our fertility, how long we can expect it to take to see positive changes once we've changed our diet, how to navigate the infinite amounts of food advice in the fertility world, some specific dietary suggestions, and so much more. Before I play the episode, I'm going to share Dr. Liz's professional bio with you. Dr. Elizabeth Sherabadi is an integrative fertility, women's, and children's health expert with a passion for successful feminine leadership. She is the creator of Well-Conceived Fertility Method, an evidence-based program designed to help women and couples build fertile foundations, break through obstacles to pregnancy, and bring their healthy, happy babies home. Dr. Liz is also the founder of Fempowered Global, a movement that inspires women globally to embrace their feminine power and create their own definitions of having it all. Dr. Liz is a graduate of the University of Guelph and the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. She's the founder of Two Rivers Health, an integrative fertility and family care clinic in the heart of Guelph, Ontario, also serving clients globally through telemedicine, online programming, and coaching. She hosts the Natural Fertility Boost Camp private chat group on Facebook, a positive space for women restoring confidence and self-care in their fertility journey. In her first book, IVF Meal Plan, she shows us how to nourish egg quality and increase fertility success through the power of food. So without further delay, let's play my interview with Dr. Elizabeth Sharabadi. Welcome, Dr. Liz. Thanks so much for being here with us on the show today. Hi, thanks for having me. I've already read your professional bio in the introduction for the episode, but if you could tell us in your own words a little bit about yourself, that'd be great. Sure. Well, I'm a naturopathic doctor by profession, and I have a focus in perinatal health. So from preconception and fertility to pregnancy and birth preparation and um, right up until pediatric uh, care. And um, I love seeing women empowered in their health and um, helping helping women and families take care of, of themselves and their little ones. Um, so I'm really inspired about helping raise that healthy next generation. And that's really where my passion comes from. I'm a new mom as well. And I, I have a clinic based in Guelph and 
have a baby son. He's about eight months as we're as we're chatting today. And uh, so that's been an amazing journey. And um, here in Guelph, Ontario, I love to garden and uh, hang out in nature and um, and with with Grace and my son and husband and, and my kitty, we have a we have a nice little nest here. <laughs> so good. It sounds like you and I have very similar professional missions and very similar personal life missions. So that's awesome. Well, that's why I'm so excited to chat today. So good. So we're going to talk about food. And that's kind of in light of you writing this amazing new book um, all about eating for IVF. And I think that what's really great about talking to naturopathic doctors about this subject is that there's usually a fair amount of science behind what you guys recommend. And I really, really like that it's all evidence-based. There's so much information that's freely available. And it's available on the internet where qualifications and education and any kind of credentialing just isn't there. It just doesn't exist online. And so I think it's really important to get your advice from people who actually have training and knowledge and who are able to interpret and distill down the research in in order to make recommendations. But I kind of want to take it back a little bit just to talk generally about fertility. When people first start to work with you on the fertility you know, regardless of what their goals are, what are the biggest challenges that you see that they're facing? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think, um, you know, as individualized as the, the journey is and, and will be for each woman and couple, I'm seeing still after over 10 years in practice now that that folks are, are getting this sort of reductionist experience in the conventional medical approach to fertility, which treats infertility like a disease, where there's sort of these these steps that you go on and we try this therapeutic first and then this one and then this one. And we kind of put people through a gamut of pretty intensive treatments without really showing them or understanding why they're having troubles conceiving or carrying a pregnancy to term in the first place. So so what I help them with is, and, and what they usually are looking for is they feel like something is missing and they just don't know what the name of it is, or they just have a sense that their, their journey hasn't been complete when it comes to the partnership that they're having in, in investigating or assessing or treating, treating their, their conditions and helping them have the baby. Because ultimately, fertility is a function of our health as a species. Like there's no such thing as any species without fertility. And and being fertile and being able to have offspring is simply the norm. And, And so we have to understand why is fertility under pressure, sort of in the big picture globally, but why is fertility under pressure or suboptimal for this person or this couple? And so that's really what they intuitively sense is a sort of missing from their journey. And, you know, sadly, people often feel like something is wrong with them. And they feel this in- internal sense of a flaw or even embarrassment or shame. And that's so tragic because if fertility challenges are not their fault. They're not, you know, a person's fault. There's a lot of factors that are putting fertility under fire in our current world. And so so people are looking for um, just ways to understand what those might be because they just intuitively know like something isn't fully on board here or something is 
missing from, from the care that I've had so far. So we don't attempt to substitute for medical care. In fact, we work really complementarily with uh, conventional medicine, especially fertility specialists and, and fertility clinics. But we want to we want to nest that fertility journey holistically with understanding all the pillars of, of fertility success that come into place. And ultimately, these are really focused pillars of health um, that, that need to be optimized for individuals. Amazing. That's such a wonderful, beautiful explanation of the naturopathic model of care in general, I think. So thank you so much for sharing that. If anybody is curious about naturopathic medicine, um, it's that was just a really succinct way um, to sum up how naturopathic doctors work with their patients. So that was beautiful. Thank you. I want to talk a little bit about your book uh, right off the hop. So your book called The IVF Meal Plan was released recently. And I want to talk a little bit more about the content of that book, um, but also what inspires you about the idea of using food to influence fertility? What inspired me to write the book was was that there's a need for for people to take this, this element of what they're eating every day and apply it in a, a way of having positive control in their fertility journey, which is a characteristic example of a place that we don't feel like we have a lot of control. And, and, and what inspired me about sharing the information and the research that I do in the book is, is really it comes down to that uh, most people are never told the impact of nutrition uh, on, on their fertility, let alone on IVF or assisted reproduction or egg quality, which is what we focus on in the book as well. It's an empowering thing to be able to share that because, you know, everybody has to eat every day. And it's a very high percentage of people that I work with that have never been counseled by anybody that they're working with in the IVF space of how to eat on how to eat on, on, uh, in ways that will contribute to healthier sperm and eggs and potentially a greater chance of IVF success, uh, healthy embryos and a healthy pregnancy environment and, and you know, ultimately holding that healthy, happy baby in your arms at the end of this journey. So I wanted to put that in, into people's hands uh, and be able to share some practical, easy, simple ways to nourish their fertility success. Amazing. And just to kind of take it back to something that you mentioned, which is that people don't typically get counseling on what they're eating every day, especially in the context of IVF and using assisted reproductive technologies and therapies. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that even though it's so well presented and in the research, why do you think that doctors don't talk to, and I mean conventional medical doctors, why do you think that they don't talk to their patients about something that is clearly so important in the research? That's a great question. There are probably several reasons uh, that I could speculate that are contributing. One is uh, at the level of a fertility specialist, they're so focused in the, the medical side and the technologies that they're working with. And there's, I mean, they're so educated and they're, they're constantly updating their protocols and their focus is on, on the research and literature and implementation of those procedures. So we need them, you know, to be focused on that. And we are so happy that we have this availability of IVF because some people absolutely need it to be able to have a child. And yet their focus and education is simply not in the world of nutrition. 
it's just, it just isn't. And, you know, medical doctors have a few hours of nutrition education in their whole series of degrees and in their education journey. And it just doesn't happen to be something that they, that they focus on and, and learn about. And, you know, not, you know, we can't all know everything. So in naturopathic medicine, we are trained to look at food as, as medicine and uh, at individualized and prescription therapeutic diets. And to understand the role of nutrients is, is just something that, you know, a lot of naturopaths do take on. And I have a, I've always had a, a special interest in nutrition, even since uh, undergrad. And uh, I think it's just like any other, any other specialty. Um, it's just not part of it. I think another part of it is, uh, you know, by the time people do arrive in a fertility clinic uh, setting and they're going to IVF, there's so much to be done for that procedure to take place. There's a lot of appointments, there's a lot of assessment and diagnosis and consultation and, and work to be done. And, you know, the model just doesn't permit time and space to honor one, the timeline that it does take for nutrition changes to make an impact. And again, going back to this idea of uh, almost like reductionist funnel that people tend to be put through, you know, like we we try to conceive for 12 months, we haven't, we haven't conceived yet, or we've had a, a couple of miscarriages. Now let's consult the fertility clinic. Okay. They do a round of cycle monitoring. They do the semen analysis. They say yes or no, you'd be a good candidate for IVF or IUI. They do so many IUIs, usually three or four. If they're not successful at conceiving a baby, then they move into IVF. And we're just in this, I'm going to call it a fertility funnel without understanding, okay, why exactly does this person or couple require these interventions to enable something that is normal, which is natural conception? So yes, we want to take advantage of any technologies that are needed, but we also want to support their success because, you know, a 30% chance of having a baby with, you know, four IVF cycles at, you know, say $25,000 each with no guarantee that that's going to result in a child, those are not good odds. And I think that we should be doing a lot better for people. I couldn't agree more. So I, I just think it's, you know, when we ask why is nutrition not brought up, you know, part of it is it's not on those, those particular practitioners radar. And by the time they're in that funnel, they're in that funnel. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of practitioners assume that people won't make changes with their nutrition, even if they were suggested or presented to them too. So that's another factor. Uh, but I find that couples that at least that come and, and seek uh, to work with me or my colleagues, they are looking to do as many things that they, as they can on their own power and their own choices that will enable them to have the success, whether natural or assisted reproduction. I think that that term that you gave it, the fertility funnel, that's brilliant. I love that. I've never heard that before. And I think it perfectly describes the fertility clinic experience, exactly how it is. And I think it can probably sometimes feel like you're getting sucked down a funnel a little bit when you're in the middle of it too. So thanks for sharing that. I might use that again. Um, I want to take it back again to a comment that you made 
that sometimes we just don't have the time to allow these nutritional changes to take place. So if somebody were, let's say, thinking ahead, um, so for example, maybe somebody has an IVF cycle, maybe they're waiting on their funded cycle in Ontario, and it's going to take a couple of months to be able to get the funding in place to go ahead. How long do you typically recommend that people work on their diet leading up to, let's say, a procedure or even trying to get pregnant off the bat? Great question. Um, so I want to be very sensitive to the to the notion that many couples have been struggling with fertility for a long time, and they want to be pregnant yesterday. And to suggest any amount of time to like invest or wait or you know prepare can feel terribly intimidating or or just like a no go. But for those who are who are prepared to take that in. As I say in the book, about three months would be a good time frame to reasonably expect the kind of changes that are that I talk about and uh, the, the kind of results that we talk about in the book that can come about from nutrition. And the reason for that is completely about our physiology. So it takes about 100 days, about three months to make sperm from the primordial cells of in the man's reproductive system that are like a like a almost like a their stem cell that makes sperm so sperm are uh, continually being made in the male reproductive tract uh, but it's a three-month journey from this cell that has 46 chromosomes and no tail to 23 chromosomes so half the baby's dna and a tail that can actually swim and fertilize the egg and then conversely with with females and oocyte development or folliculogenesis, where follicles are being formed and recruited for ovulation or retrieval in an IVF cycle, that's a process of about three months as well, where the most intensive growth and maturation is happening. Okay, so women are aware that they're born with their complement of eggs, you know, several hundred thousand eggs at birth in our little teeny tiny female baby ovaries. And then um, once puberty happens, we start having the hormonal influence that recruits those eggs and cultivates a little, a little class of them. And there's like a valedictorian, every little class. And that's the only one that actually graduates and gets ovulated. Um, and in retrievals under medical stimulation, several more eggs are hoped for. Okay. So we want maximum results of how many eggs we can retrieve in IVF and how good quality they are. And the quality piece, it comes down to nutrients because it's nutrients that one, build the systems and allow for the eggs to protect themselves from oxidative stress, which is like physiologic aging or the damage that can happen to the cell membranes and the DNA inside them. And uh, cells miraculously have mechanisms by which they can self-correct chromosomal problems, but only when they are nourished and only when they're supplied with antioxidants and good fats and, and uh, minerals and, and vitamins and so on that enable them to do that. So the cool thing about food is our bodies are literally designed to take in nutrients from our food and use it for health, recovery, repair, and uh the food is literally speaking to our genes. It's a communication medium. And so that's why about three months or longer, if people have the ability to, to invest longer, it's, it's great. And that's also why, you know, this idea of, of optimizing the health of cells from where they're starting today and moving forward in the next three months or so is like a season of preparation that 
can enable the results of IVF, say like egg retrieval numbers to be better in a future cycle. So if someone has had a failed cycle before or not a great crop of retrievals or not great embryos or pregnancy losses and so on, this preconception season is an investment in the potential of, uh, of future success. And it's not that you're just simply only aging chronologically and taking away your future success. Of course. And I think that it's really important to consider um, the idea about kind of taking your in inspiration for looking at it as an empowering and positive thing that you can do for yourself. Because I think that this kind of thing can sometimes be something that especially people who are women and socialized as women who really use this kind of idea to really beat themselves up, up if they don't have a successful cycle, if they're having trouble getting pregnant. And I think it's important to kind of take the information that you're presenting and look at it as an opportunity for room to improve rather than like, I wasn't doing well, this, I, it's my fault. I'm like, I'm the re I wasn't eating the right foods. Um, so I just want to put that in there too. And then I would also ask, I would assume that it's also never too late to start. At least that's what I talk to my patients about. Is that what you say as well? Yes. I, you know, I kind of, uh, I put a veil, I think, in front of my eyes uh, around a person's age uh, or birth date. And I myself had my baby at age 40. And when, when I and my husband were ready, and I feel... Uh, I feel like that's a, you know, I've, I've got lots of patients that even conceive naturally uh, in their 40s. And, you know, taking care of your health and well-being, like so for in the way that you'll be eating, for example, to nourish your fertility success is also good for you as a person. And uh, it's a way for you to get in into a nice, harmonious, loving relationship with yourself again. And as you mentioned this is a grueling journey for women emotionally, especially, I mean, men also have, have tremendous amounts of stress and self-blame and, and guilt and shame too. But this, you're right, that this, that infertility or, or having fertility challenges can involve a tremendous amount of, of negative emotions toward ourselves. And so if, if people can create a bit of a stage for themselves where they are refocusing and and using food almost symbolically on on you know how this is how I nurture myself as as not only the future vessel of life but because I love and respect and honor myself that's really good advice I love that I want to take it back to another thing that you mentioned, which is kind of that picture of individualized care, which is something that you were talking about in the beginning when you were talking about the naturopathic model in general. I, I One thing that I really, really respect about natural practitioners, so whether it's people like myself who use acupuncture in Chinese medicine or people like yourself who have a naturopathic doctorate degree, we tend to look at the individual person as we go through treatment with them. And I think that it's really important to have a conversation about the fact that food is very much a part of that individual medicine paradigm because I think it's really easy to go on the internet and consult Google and say, okay, well, there's this miracle fertility diet that it might be pretty extreme or pretty lacking in certain nutrients or just a, a, the next fad. And, you know, just because it worked really well for one person might not mean that it's going to work 
well for you. So do you have any advice for people who are kind of trying to wade through all of that information on the internet and really find something that's maybe a little more simple and less rooted in fad diet culture that they might be able to focus on? Oh, absolutely. And this, you know, I've heard it said that, you know, with 7 billion people in the planet, there's 7 billion ideal diets. And the last thing that I want people to feel like is that they have to be restrictive or feel deprived or feel like their nutrition plan is like a punishing one. That is not to me like a fertile environment because emotionally that's going to have its effects. And like you say, that could strip away or limit different nutrients that that person actually requires. So The first thing that I'll suggest is that, you know, tuning into your intuition or your gut feeling about what feels good to eat for you. And I mean, in a pattern that you can maintain for a longer term, you know, some people, they have a dessert on the weekend and that's totally fine. Some people, they don't even look, they're not even interested in sweets. Some people, they do better on uh, having some nice fats included for, for flavor Um, some people like to fast until noon and they feel good with that. Some people, they try that and they feel terrible. I myself could never tolerate not eating breakfast. Like I would, it would be, my husband would never let it happen because he would get the first brunt of the effects of that. But like you say, when you're looking at a person's constitution, what are their individual needs? Are they more of a hot blooded? Are they more chilly? You know, do they, what, what are their cravings and what do the cravings mean? So I think that one, your, a person's individual sense of feeling well, feeling healthy, feeling uh, calm, alert, energized, um, feeling strong, having stamina, being able to do the things that you love to do and having energy left over at the end of the day is, you know, feeling good is a really good marker for being well nourished. And the second thing is, if we're going to choose a dietary pattern, The Mediterranean diet, as I share in the book, is one that has, of all the dietary patterns, shown up to be the most supportive of of fertility. Now, that's not to say that there could be many, many other shades and subtleties and, and, and ways of eating. For example, you know, for millennia, people in Asia would not have eaten a Mediterranean style diet. But the principles being, you know, there for both men and women, there tends to be more seafood. Uh, and poultry than red meat and pork. There tends to be lots of vegetables, so rich in folate. There tends to be legumes like chickpeas and and beans. There tends to be lots of olive oil, which is an anti-inflammatory source of fat. It's low in processed food, of course, and it's it's fruit for dessert. So rather than processed sugar or refined sugar, so eating a diet that looks like it forms in nature, like Whole foods or, you know, Mediterranean diet without the, without the alcohol, with the red wine (laughs) Um, or any pattern that follows that principle is going to be a, a, a fertility friendly diet. That's amazing. And I think that the concepts of that are still, you're able to be a little bit creative within that paradigm where if somebody has a constitution that needs more fat, they can just add more fat. If somebody has a constitution that needs more vegetables and fiber, they can add more of that. If they like more of a sweetness in their diet, they can add more of that all within this. So again, to summarize, you're saying 
whole foods as close to nature as possible, um, low in processed foods, fish and poultry, lots of vegetables, oils and healthy fats, olive oils, um, and anything else I'm missing here? Uh, I didn't mention it specifically, but plenty of protein is is really important. And I find that women in particular are probably not getting enough protein as a, you know, as a, as a group. <laughs> That's interesting. Why do you think that is? I'm not sure. I think uh, part of it is just culture, like trends around uh, what we put on our plates and so on. I think at least in Western culture, tending to have a carb, a carb focused breakfast, like cereal or toast is one way that we miss out on protein. Whereas in other cultures, there would be a meat or a stew or a soup or a fish um, or eggs certainly uh, is, is one option that we tend to have here. But I think women just don't tend to realize how much benefit protein will give them for their, for their fertility, but also for their overall health. Perfect. So in your book, The IVF Meal Plan, of course, I'm not going to ask you to give away all the book on the podcast episode. If people want to read it, they can buy the book. Um, but in that book, do you have some meal plans, some recipes, things like that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. We have about 30 recipes and we have a 28-day meal plan. So I've laid out a really simple way of, of using the recipes and we've got grocery lists and so you can do that every week um, and have that sort of thinking done for you. And the recipes are delicious. We we developed them with a whole food chef, uh, Charles Stendelano is his name, and uh, you'll see his his acknowledgement in the book as well. And he he and his wife have a, a, a holistic um, clinic as well here in Ontario, and they uh, they've he's applied. Uh, you know, some really good wisdom as well as the amazing flavors and, and simple, fast to prepare recipes um, that you can use as a template as much as you want. Or pe some people follow it exactly as I presented and others use it as a template and follow the principles. Amazing. What a gift to this community to be able to just buy a book and say, here's a here's a template, here's an outline, you can follow it to a T and then you don't even have to think about what to eat, you just make the meal plan or you can look at it as inspiration to add create, you know, creative changes to what you're already doing. So good. I love it. So before you go, can you tell everybody about how they can find you, how they can talk with you, where are you online, and maybe a little bit about the programs that you offer? Oh, sure. Yeah. So online, people can connect with me on Instagram. Uh, it's dr.elizabeth.sharavati. And um, if you just search for my name, uh, it'll come up. And uh, I'd love to hang out with you there. And I do have a free private Facebook chat group uh, focused on natural fertility support. So whether you're going for natural conception or IVF, the, the support that, that we offer is, is quote unquote natural. So it is focusing on nutrition and all the other resources that are available that way. And is a source of support and positive space for discussion and for sisterhood around uh, the fertility journey. So that's Fertility Boost Camp in Facebook. So folks can search for that as well. Uh, it's a private group, so it uh, may require you to actually put the name of the group in. And then I have my well-conceived fertility method, which is the program that I 
I guide our patients through. So that is a six-phase program. And I offer that as a digital course version, as well as a one-to-one patient program for people that are residing in Ontario and for uh, in a coaching format for people that live outside Ontario. And that's just because my license and registration as a naturopath is in Ontario. So I can't be your doctor outside of the province if you live anywhere else, but I can, I can coach you and provide information and guidance and, and one-to-one support. Perfect. That's really good to clarify. And, you know, just for the record, the information itself wouldn't change and the guidance itself, it wouldn't change. I think a lot of the time it just comes down to, can I bill it to my insurance? Can I not bill it to my insurance? I mean, that's kind of what it, what it equates to at the end of the day. Yeah, that's one piece. I think some people do have insurance for things like health programs, like uh, courses and things like that, or coaching. That is something that health spending accounts can cover. Um, and also, the only things that I, I, I can't do, because the information you're right doesn't change, is offer diagnosis, um, or of course, hands on treatment. So uh, for anyone outside of the Guelph area, I've developed these resources uh, for those reasons, because uh, most of what I do is consultation based. Uh, so it's knowledge and it's understanding that person's unique picture, physically, mentally, emotionally. And so with, without, you know, prescribing a, prescri- a prescription substance, there's still a ton that we can do together. Okay, perfect. I'm going to make sure that I link all of that in the show notes so people can click on it and find you easily if they want to continue the conversation. Dr. Liz, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and for being here with us today. Oh, I appreciate the conversation so much, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks. So that was my interview with Dr. Liz. I'll make sure I link all of the information in the show notes, as well as how you can get in touch with her to continue the conversation and how you can buy her book. I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, take care. Thank you for joining us on Fertility Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you loved our content today, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone who you think might find it helpful. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to be notified of new episodes. A new one comes out every Wednesday. To keep in touch with us and to continue the conversation, you can find us over on Instagram at Fertility Academy or join us on our private Facebook group, the Fertility Academy Community. Both are linked in the show notes today. Until next time, have a great week.